There's 162 games of the baseball season and winter comes along just to end it. So the annual problem for a baseball fan is finding a good way to watch it. Like maybe going to the park or watching on TV or just catching the highlights. Watching Donaldson strike out again or seeing Judge hit 62 bombs. Bang! Bogart's leaving town, Kike making plays or Kenley closing the door. Debating with your friends, making dumb bets, or complaining about the umps again. As you can tell, there's a whole lot of stuff to hear before winter comes again. Let's go, y'all. So chill with us, because Gamby and Beal are going to say it all. So chill with us, because Gamby and Beal are going to say it all. Man, Fred, Gamby and Beal made a podcast. Hello and welcome back to season two of the Yank Your Socks Off podcast, a podcast produced by two best friends who despise each other's baseball teams, but love each other anyways. We hope you enjoy. Thank you for tuning in now to the show. Ciao and welcome to the Yank Your Socks Off podcast. I am one of your hosts, the Yankees fan of this podcast, Mr. Andrew Gambardella III, who is... Still not believing in the Yankees to have any chance at a World Series this year. And joining me, as always, my best friend and co-host, the Red Sox fan of this podcast, Mr. Matthew David Beal. Hello, hello. Hey, Beal. Hey, Beal. You know, you're, you got two highs to run on right now. In today's podcast, we're going to start with your Denver Nuggets and then winning the championship I'll, I'll do my hockey minute, and then we'll go into U.S. Open previews and finish it up with Red Sox and Yankees talk. Obviously, the Red Sox and Yankees played their first series of the year this year in the Bronx, and the Yankees blew it. They really did, and I, I'm sure you're more happy for your Nuggets than you are your Red Sox right now, but it's always good to have multiple things to be happy about. So, Beal... To start, we'll start with your Nuggets. How happy are you right now? I am jubilant and excited and honestly never really thought this day would come. Well, it um, did come. Now, I'm going to tamper that that uh, happiness a little bit here and ask you, boy. now that they've won one championship, there's a lot of talk out there that if this team doesn't win – multiple championships within the next couple years with how good they look and how young their core is. And they have the best player in the world now with Nikola Jokic, a two-time MVP, two of the last three years. He went back-to-back. Now he's won a finals MVP, and he looked like by far the best player in the league this year as, as well, and especially in the playoffs. Are you content with one championship as a fan, or will you be upset come five years from now? if the Nuggets aren't competing for more championships? You know, that's a great question. And, you know, I, I wish he gave me a chance to, you know, just be happy. But Okay, all right. The floor is yours. <laughs> be happy at first and enjoy the first one. I want you to wrap up the emotion uh, that you were feeling when that, that final buzzer rang and the Nuggets were able to secure their first championship ever. And then try to transition that into looking ahead. Because obviously now you know, the season's over. But that never means that that means that 
next season is the ultimate prize is, is, is every, is what everybody's chasing for. So Beal, if, if you please, the floor is yours. Thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, I, I gotta say it was just, um, pretty overcome with emotion last night. I, I mean, I was doing the math and figuring out when I started rooting for the Nuggets. And I, I mean, uh, obviously we've talked about it on this podcast before. It was when Kenyon Martin was traded to the Nuggets. Um, I didn't realize that was 04. So, I mean, I was seven when I was like, yep, I am be a Nuggets fan. Um, or I guess six at the time. But, uh, but yeah, it's just like it's been so long. Um, I never really thought that the Nuggets would get to the point where they were talented enough and capable of bringing home a championship. Uh, the last couple of years, obviously, you know, started thinking about it, but it's uh, it's hard to get into that mindset when you're dealing with injury and you've got Michael Porter Jr. and Jamal Murray kind of fighting all the demons of injuries and just trying to get back on the court and being the players that, like, we all knew they could be. Um, and just trying to get back to that point of where they were in 2020. Um, so it, it was – it was a long battle to get back there, but the nugget I was just thinking about last night, like all the, all the years that brought us here, you know, whether it was like the era of George Carl or like, um, you know, when Mike Malone started eight years ago and uh, we had two centers and Jokic and Nurkic and trying to figure out how to navigate that. And it really, every single player, like, on the Nuggets in the last eight years has some sort of impact on this team, whether it was uh, Nurkic or Jermichael Green or um, Jeremy Grant in the bubble. Like it, these guys have kind of like molded the Nuggets to where they are right now and to the starting lineup that they ended up having. And it's just cool to see all that come together and, um, you know, all the attempts at uh, building a championship roster and figuring out what works and what doesn't. And, um, kind of this year, finally just honing in on the defense. And ultimately that's, you know, what um, got them to another level. And uh, I mean, you could argue is the reason why they won game five the way they did was they were just able to out defend the heat on those, you know, long bouts of not scoring at all. So uh, honestly, it was really cool to me as a Nuggets fan who has been so plugged into this team in recent years to see it all come together and see it all come together and uh, come to fruition um, this year, particularly when, you know, Jamal Murray's back for his first full year and um, Michael Porter Jr. finally seems like he's got a few healthy years under him and Aaron Gordon comes in and has played the best defense of his career and it really turned into this guy who used to be someone who averaged the most points for his team, but uh, definitely took a smaller role, but was able to step up in big situations when we needed him, like putting up 27 points in game four of the finals. And um, so, yeah, I mean, for me, it's like I'm ecstatic as a fan and uh, was just blown away by the fact that we were able to win. But like looking back at all the years, like there's not – a single year that I was a Nuggets fan that I look back on poorly because at this point you could like just reflect on all the years that it took to get here and realize what impact that like 
that team had on this team. And it's, it's cool. It's unique for me as a sports fan. I feel like it carries a different weight than some of the other championships I've seen. Like, um, you know, obviously I love the Red Sox. They're my favorite sports team, but like they've won four since so four. Like I never knew a world where the Red Sox weren't winning championships and the giants had two starting in 2007. Um, well, the 2008 Super Bowl, but the Nuggets, I never knew to be a championship team. So, like, I finally got to see the the build start from basically zero, ground zero, like where we, you know, tore apart this team when Ty Lawson and Fareed had kind of lost their window of being great players. And Danilo Gallinari proved that he wasn't really the guy to lead the Nuggets deep in the playoffs. And, um, you know, just seeing... Jamal and Jokic take over and uh, become the duo that they are now is just really, really cool. Um, and I, I don't know. It's it just you could see the hard work uh, put towards, you know, putting great team on the court each and every single year. Um, and, you know, there's things that you can't control along the way, like injuries. But um, it's nice that everything came together this year. And, um everybody who was a stakeholder in the Nuggets in the last couple of years was involved in this championship. So uh, that was pretty cool. And also want to shout out to the the veterans that were able to snag a championship before they retire, like Jeff Green and DeAndre Jordan and Ish Smith. Those guys deserve it and were like extra coaches on the bench for the Nuggets. So um, honestly, everything about it makes me happy. Uh, I, like, these dudes like on the team they're just so eager to win and eager to play for each other it's just it's cool to watch selfless basketball and see how it pays off in the end because we've seen so much iso game and this kind of this nuggets team makes me think of kind of i don't know um just traditional basketball and fundamentals and you know the things that you want to coach to a team and the, the character that you want to give to your players so um it was it was awesome and we'll probably never stop talking about 2023 nuggets because uh it was just the experience of a lifetime for me as a fan but yep to your point of dynasty uh obviously i i felt like i started hearing talk about a dynasty before the nuggets even clinched the finals um so it it, it was a a topic that I was trying to stay away from and obviously would not be able to avoid uh, once the series ended. I, I saw plenty of tweets about it last night uh, as soon as the Nuggets won. You know, talk about what what is the expectation for the Nuggets. and um, I, I'll say this over and over again. I, I never thought about winning a finals this year. Like, I, it never even crossed my mind. I wanted to get to the finals. Um, but I needed the Nuggets to get to the Western Conference Finals. And when they won that, they kind of eclipsed the only thing that I had thought was possible. I, I, not that I didn't think this was a championship roster. I really do think that they are. But I also believe getting to the championship doesn't necessarily you know, mean you're not capable of winning a championship. I wanted the Nuggets to prove to everybody that they're capable of winning the championship but understood if they lost to a team in the finals because that happens. You're not going to win most of the finals that you get to. Um, I, I mean, 
some teams will, but I, I just that's not an expectation that I held. I wanted them to prove that they're championship caliber, um, and that was kind of where my uh, you know ideas were at the beginning of the year. And as it went on, I started thinking about a championship. I'm like, man, that would be really cool. Um, and now we're at the point where the championship is done. Uh, you know, all the work has been put in. Everybody believes in the Nuggets. And now there's pressure of having a dynasty. And I think, like you mentioned, the Nuggets are very young. They're extremely capable of winning more championships. And personally, I think that I um, – my desire for the Nuggets in the next couple of years, whether they win a finals championship again in the next five years or not, I don't think I care at this moment. And this is a day after winning a championship, so there may be some bias in there. I might be talking differently on opening day next year um, or at the end of this year, 2023. Uh, but for me right now, I don't think it matters if you win another championship, but I do think it matters that you are consistently a competitor in the West and you're making it to the Western Conference Finals at least. And, uh, you know, obviously there's going to be some down years, but uh, for the Nuggets, I want this to be a team that they they are what the Warriors were for the last 10 years. Or, um, you know, what the Lakers had been in the early 2000s. I want to be that stopgap team that, you know, if you're going for a finals victory, you got to beat the Nuggets. And um, and I'm content with being that team as long as that, uh, we continue to be a force. And um, I don't think you necessarily need to bring back three championships or four championships to be a dynasty. I think what quantifies dynasty is being a competitor like year in and year out and consistently you know, giving teams a hard time. And um, it, the NBA playoffs are a ruthless environment. And um, I, I know that the Nuggets can play in it as well as any team out there. And I do expect if they put themselves in the Western Conference Finals every year, they will have opportunities to win. And that's honestly all I can ask for. And mm. with enough opportunity, you're going to take home another championship. So I, I know that comes with the opportunity but uh, all i'm hoping for right now is just to prove every single year that we belong there and uh and give yourself a chance to make it deep in the playoffs and um but honestly that's that's all i feel like i could think about right now as far as the dynasty conversation okay i, I don't think there's a number of trophies that you know i want to see um uh, by, you know, the end of Jokic's career, I, I don't think I have that number in my mind um, because I, I don't want to cap the Nuggets. I mean, knows, maybe they'll win five in the next Ooh. five. Years. Yeah, I, w to me, I think it's, I mean, it's a tremendous compliment accomplishment to just win one. But with having the best player, widely considered to be the best player in the world and who should be, the best player in the world for the next couple of years, at least at the very least, I think it would be a, a failure to not win multiple, especially with guys like Bruce Brown coming in this year, excellent pickup and Jeff green. 
their play just went to another level because they were playing with Jokic and his ability yeah. to share the basketball. Yeah. So, to me, it, there's going to be more free agents that'll want to go play there. If I was a role player, I would say I would look at this Nuggets roster. I would say Bruce Brown's probably going to leave and go get some money this year, and you know there's going to be a, a role to fill. And with a guy who, you know, maybe has had some injuries, maybe if Jonathan, a guy like Jonathan Isaac gets cut by the Magic, I think he could be an excellent fit with the Nuggets and could explode and take on a role similar to Aaron Gordon and play great defense and and come up big as a third scorer when need be. And I think there's going to be a lot of role players, quality role players in the league who play with Jokic, and I think everybody around Jokic plays so much better. He is the best facilitator I've seen uh, come into this league in his prime. And honestly, the way he manipulates an offense and the way he played in this playoffs is the most dominant performance I have seen from a player in my lifetime in the playoffs. Since I've, I, I haven't watched many NBA playoff runs I've only watched the past probably like five or six years from my memory because before that, I, I've ne- you know this, I've never been a huge NBA fan. I've always been a much bigger college basketball guy and NFL and baseball. So, I mean, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of sports to watch. But I was mesmerized with his play and him and Jamal Murray, especially their chemistry and Jamal Murray's, I mean, he has an absolute bag. I mean, his his fadeaway, his step back, his footwork is incredible for a guard. And and I I think this team has untapped potential with Michael Porter Jr. He played terrible in the finals, and they still blew the Miami Heat out of the water. So to me, this team, the sky really is the limit to me, as long as they stay healthy. And that's a big if with all the injuries that have been on this roster uh, but they were healthy this year, and it takes a lot of luck to go on a run. And it's very hard to go back to back. With all that said, if they don't win another championship within the next five years with this roster, I think, or at least go to another finals, I think it's, I think it is, it's a disappointment if they don't go to another yeah. finals. I I don't disagree with you. It's it's hard for me to think about that right now. Um, but uh, but yeah, you gotta put yourself in the finals. You gotta give yourself a chance. Um, and I I don't think that's a tall task at all for this team. Uh, they just look so dominant offensively. Nobody could do anything. Um, I feel like I mentioned this on a previous podcast, but I, I saw this stat and I wish I saved it and I, I didn't. But it was on Twitter, and it was showing Jokic's record against teams that he has played like four or more times before. And his record is just absurd after he's played a team a number of times. Um, as if he's this computer that just takes in information from defenders and understands what they're going to do, how they're going to play him, and then is able to analyze that in the next game, just become significantly better and anticipate the team's next move. Um, and he was able to do that all playoffs. And you could see that each and every team he just got progressively better against. He's played against Cat a bunch of times and uh, Gobert. And, uh, you know, he 
wrecked havoc on those guys. And then the Suns, um, you know, gave him a really, really tough series a couple of years ago. Um, and it, he just dominated against Aiton, who has historically been a really good defender on Jokic. Um, same thing with AD. He had a, a tough time against AD in the bubble in the Western Conference Finals and tore him apart. And then, uh, honestly, I think the the tallest task that Jokic had was the Heat defense. And, uh, you know, most of that comes with Bam, but a ton of it comes from Spolstra. Uh, Spolstra. Um, yeah, the, the Heat have an ability to mask their defense, disguise defense, um, change it up every single possession without even taking a timeout. It's mind-boggling to look at their defense and try and understand what they're doing. Um, they always seem to – Jokic responded to it very well, but they always seem to confuse him at, like, some point in the game. Um, he would make maybe an errant pass or a bad decision. Um, there was a few layup opportunities that shocked me because Jokic, when I watch him, he always makes the right decision. It's, like, almost 100% of the time. But against the Heat, there was a few times where he would get to the post and I expected him to put up the ball and he passed it to a guy that was like double teamed or something. I'm like, what the hell is going on? But the Heat were able to trick him because every time he went to the rim, they showed a different look, whether they were going to give him the shot or guard the person that they thought he was going to go to. Um, they they definitely wrecked havoc on Jokic at points. Uh, I mean, obviously, uh, he balled against the Heat and he was able to figure those things out um, on the fly. But it, they were by far the best team that I've seen and had the best strategy against Jokic. Um, it, it's it, you know, like the, the Suns try to take away one part of Jokic's game, like take away the passing and then maybe they're good. But that only gives them one win in one game. The Heat were able to take away the passing on one possession and take away the shot on the next possession and try to anticipate what Jokic would want to do that possession um, and kind of bring the ball into their court. Uh, I, I really do think uh, huge props to the Heat because I really think that they had the right idea when it came to approaching Jokic. It wasn't one game playing the whole time. It was just a flurry of defenses that they threw at him and, um, I think Mike Breen said it on the broadcast, he was like, they're throwing the kitchen sink at Jokic right now. And, uh, you know, hats off to him. He was able to deal with it. And that was probably it, even though the Nuggets won four to one, it was a much closer series. If you watch those games, I mean, obviously not a single game felt like a blowout at all. It was always close. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that has a lot to do with the heat defense and the way they're able to, um, control uh, Jokic's game. And, it, you know, not that they limited him or stopped him at all. He was able to do his thing, but they were able to control facets that other teams could not. Yeah, and, yeah, you said the Heat, one of the best coach teams and deepest defensive teams in the league. And Jokic averaged 30 points. 14 rebounds and seven assists in the finals. He, I mean, in the regular season, he almost averaged 20 uh, triple double with 9.8 assists, uh, 12 rebounds and 24 points. And he upped his game throughout the entire playoffs. He was 
incredible. He shot 58% from the field in the finals. He was the MVP of the playoffs uh, in my of the entire season and the finals. He was the most dominant player and has been for the last few years. And for me, there's there's no reason why this can't slow down. And on that note, Beal, congratulations. Thank Enjoy you. Thank it. you. Thank you. Soak it up. Uh, I am enjoying it. We are basketball royalty uh, with the UConn men winning and your Denver Nuggets winning. I mean, we're we're a podcast of champions, I guess. I mean, except for our Yankees I, and Red Sox right now, but yeah. eh, we don't care about that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's not what this podcast is about, right? No. Yeah. Um, but congrats. Enjoy it. And yeah, I mean. I, I was say I was even saying go nugs, uh, go nuggets during this, uh, or you call them the nuggies. Um, the nuggies. Yeah, the uh, the Denver Nuggets are NBA you, champions. Bill. You didn't believe in them. They are NBA champions. I did not believe in them until they got to uh, the NBA Finals. Honestly, until they did what they did against the Lakers, because I, I thought the Lakers had them. But uh, they did not. They very much no. did not. They swept them and they lost one game in the NBA Finals, a gentleman's sweep. Hats off to the Denver Nuggets. Hats off to the entire team. You did a great job of reflecting on how you felt and, and how the whole team – obviously, it's going to be a new team next year. And uh, honestly, I'll probably be rooting for Denver again because Chicago is going to be probably pretty bad once again. But uh, – that's a long, long way away, and the one, the one, um, the one sport right now that is in the playoffs is the Stanley Cup Finals, the NHL. Welcome to my hockey minute. Uh, we don't talk a lot of hockey on this podcast, and for good reason. We don't know much about it. However, I love to watch playoff hockey. I think it is electric. I think. I just I just think it is an electric sport to watch, even though I don't really know the X's and O's that go into hockey. But the Knights look like they're going to gentlemen sweep the Florida Panthers. Um, so both Florida teams, the Miami Heat and Panthers, eight seeds making Cinderella runs. I think both of them come to an end. I hope not. I hope there's more hockey to watch. But... Uh, yeah, it's looking like nights and five, ladies and gentlemen. And that does it for my Hockey Minute. Beal, it's time for your sport. Uh, although I do have recent bragging rights after selecting Brooks Kepra to win the PGA Championship, and he went on to do so. So maybe I should be the golf expert of this podcast. But we're going to transfer into U.S. Open preview talk. And we're going to select – Four guys, a team of four guys each, who we think could win the entire U.S. Open, the third major of this year. John Rahm wins the Masters. Brooks Kepka wins the PGA this year. Who's going to win the 2023 U.S. Open? We are going to select four golfers apiece. Three of them will be our favorites, I guess you could say. And then the last guy is going to be a long shot, a guy who has a greater than 50 to 1 odds to win the tournament. Only uh, a little over 20 guys have better than a 50 to one odds to win the tournament out of a field of near like 90 golfers. I think it is. It's somewhere around there, uh, depending on 
uh, who's a late scratch within the tournament. But it is a large, large field. But there are some clear favorites. Now, Beal, uh, this U.S. Open, in, being in Los Angeles, does, does location, does timing of this tournament, does Live Golf and the PGA mer- coming up with a merging merger plan this past couple weeks, does, does this, does all of any of this affect what's actually going to happen on the golf course this weekend? Um, I, I, I want to say no, but I think yes, because <laughs> it's, I don't think anything about the merger will physically affect what the tournament's all about. But I, I do think, obviously, media latches on to the most uh, interesting um, thing that's going on. And I, I don't think conversation about the live merger with the PGA Tour and then also the investigations that I heard were going on with the merger. None of that's going to stop. And I think, unfortunately, it's going to take over a little bit. People will start to talk about what the live slash PGA tour will look like next year at tournaments like the open, um, the U S open I'll say. Uh, and I, I think that's going to have some effect on the players. Um, I, I hope they push that media side because that's really not what it's all about. Um, it's about the U S open and, uh, one of our four majors in golf. So, Everybody should be excited about that alone. Um, you know, there's plenty of time uh, to talk merger outside of tournaments. But uh, for me, I, I just think the media and the focus really should be on the tournament and the players in it. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I mean, obviously, there's live golfers and PGA Tour golfers um, playing in the U.S. Open uh, now after uh, the PGA allowed that. Um, we didn't really think that there was going to be a huge field because we weren't really sure what live golfers uh, would be allowed to play in. But, um, but I'm, I'm happy that everyone's allowed to play in it. And I really do hope that players kind of just, you know, stick to the tournament and are able to be, you know, represented well by their fans. And um, the media doesn't try to make a story out of, you know, this being one of, possibly the last majors of uh of golf before the pga and live golf tour merge yeah i was wrong there are 156 golfers in this year's u.s open uh that is substantially more than i said and that just makes it even harder to win which is why there's only uh a little over 20 guys with odds better than 50 to 1 to win the tournament because i mean Everybody's got a got a shot, you know, um, yeah. and, and golf is as you know, the weather can play into it, whether or not you tee off in the morning, afternoon, wind comes into play. So all those factors come in. And to me, I mean, a live golfer just won a, a major tournament. So I think I'm not going to be eliminating live golfers from their, you know, even with all of this drama going on with within golf, I, I think. I truly think this tournament is anybody's to win. Yeah, I I think so too. Um, I, I'm really excited for the tournament. Uh, I uh, 
I, I think it's going to be an incredible uh, venue and a really tough venue. But uh, I'm excited for it. I saw there's one par three that's going to be 290 yards. So I, I can't wait. For I that's going to lead to uh, some crazy looking shots. Uh, you know, I, I'm I'm sure it's going to lead to some pretty high scores. But uh, I'm I'm excited for it. Yeah, and I saw I think hole 15. It is par three is playing, I think, day one at like 120 yards. But based on where you are on the green, you could, where the hole is placed and where the tee box is placed, they've played it some years in tournaments where the tee to, tee to the hole is 80 yards. That's insane. Yeah, so it, it's like a, a chip shot, and but they hide it like within a couple bunkers and there, there's a lot of – um, a lot of a lot of hazards, and you could get yourself in a lot of trouble very quickly yeah. if you hit a poor shot going for the pin. So, yeah, the rough looks miserable too. Yes, and that is always the case with the U.S. Open. You have to be an extremely, you have to be extremely good at keeping the ball in play on the on the first cuts and on the fairways, and then very very good tee to green, your iron play, and, and usually long hitters. Uh, do very well in in the U.S. Open. It usually plays as a very long course, especially with the thick rough. That's going to make you club up to hit the ball longer because that that thick rough is going to take you know anywhere from ten to thirty yards out of your out of your shot range. So um, yeah, that makes it uber important to hit fairways. And because of that, that's going to affect the way that I'm going to select my team um, for this for this uh, four-person team. And the way we're working this to see who wins between Beal and I is every day of the tournament, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, two of our golfers, the two best scores on that day will count towards our team score. So honestly, you could have a golfer that goes six under one day and six over the next day, but that's not going to, most likely count to your score. So you want a guy, you want guys who can just run it up on their best day and have a tremendous day to count towards your score. Now, if all of your guy, all of the guys in your team get cut uh, I, and the other guy, you know, uh, the other team gets it picks, um, picks golfers that make the cut. Uh, obviously that person's going to win. Um, but if one person's team has four, all four guys make the cut and the other person only has three guys make the cut, we are going to give a three shot advantage to the, um, to the team where all of their guys made, made the cut because I think they should, that should be a reward for picking that good of a, of a team that every guy made the cut, even their long shot. Yeah, I agree. Okay. I well, think this sounds fair. Yeah. With that said, Beal, uh, we will be conducting a very small snake draft of four people. Um, would you like to go first? Second, would you like to flip a coin? What? what would I you think do? you should pick since your uh, pick last time had one. Oh. So you could pick your order in the draft whether you want to get the second and third pick or if you want to start off the draft Ooh, 
I'll take the number one overall selection because I, to me, it's an obvious overall selection. Um, number one overall, I'm going with Scotty Scheffler. He's the number one player in the world. He has, he has played very good golf this year in the masters. He made a late charge. Um, even in the, what was the, the past tournament he just played in two weeks? Was it the Charles Schwab? I think he made yeah. a late, late charge and came up one short, short. So he's been in it in pretty much every tournament that he plays. He, ex, he is expected to compete, and he, he has. He has been in that top five, top tens a lot this year. Just hasn't gotten over the line in the big tournaments. And I think I, – I honestly I, – I think, I think he is – the number one player in the world for a reason. And I very, I would not be surprised if the betting favorite um, is the winner in the field of 156. I know I just said anybody could win it and I'm, I'm picking the favorite as my first choice, but he is the favorite for a reason. Fair enough. I think that's a great pick. Um, I'm going to pick, and I've picked him recently, uh, honestly, because I feel like he's kind of due. Um, he's he's not one of my favorite golfers. Uh, he's not like a dislike golfer, but I just, you know, historically haven't really necessarily rooted for him. But I root for him as a fan of golf and appreciate his game a lot and do like to watch him play. Um, I'm going to pick Rory McIlroy. Wow. Um, okay. I think that's a three major tournament streak for me picking him. Um, and I think two of those times he was cut. So, uh, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm living on the edge here, but, uh, he does come in with the fifth best odds going into the U S open, uh, and obviously has performed well at the U S open in the past and always shows up for majors. So I'm going to pick Rory, uh, because I really do think he is due. Okay. I, I also did. Phil kind of, uh, I don't know, like I, I love Phil Mickelson but he kind of shit talked Roy a little bit a couple weeks ago. And I think Roy does very well with shit talk. So I think he's going to respond to it. Well, um, basically just saying that he thought Roy should go to the live tour before the merger talk, um, that he should go to the live tour and, you know, make a lot of money and get away from some of the stresses of the PGA tour and stuff like that. And it, it just kind of, it rubbed me the wrong way because he was kind of talking about Rory like he wasn't a competitor and like he wasn't capable of like winning on the PGA Tour anymore. And so I just didn't really love that, um, it, even though I do love Phil. Uh, I, I think that might be a little bit of a motivation for Rory to, you know, take a take a good old win at the U.S. Open. Okay. I, I don't hate that pick. And yeah, I mean, to go back to my number one pick, Scotty Scheffler in his last three tournaments, tied for second at the PGA, tied for third at the Charles Schwab, and third alone at the Memorial Tournament. So he is trending. Yeah. Yep. But Scotty. yeah, I, I think Rory more than anybody has been outspoken about the PGA um, and live battle over the past couple of years. So um, if he can continue to carry the torch for the PGA, even though they're merging now, uh, I think a lot of PGA players feel like they've been stabbed in the back by 
um, by the CEO of the PGA Tour because he kind of just lied to them and said they would never do business with Liv. And, and here they are merging. And a lot of guys probably missed out on a lot of money um, from going over to Liv um, yeah. now that they're remerging. So maybe that bad blood comes into play and helps helps a guy like Rory push it over the edge. So I think that is a, that is a good choice. Yeah. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, and for my second pick, I'm going to go to uh, – the Beal favorite, Justin Thomas. Yes. I, you know, I never even think of him as um, somebody who I could get in a potential fantasy draft with no, you when it comes no. to pitch picking major tournaments. Um, so, yeah, great pick. He is a Boston Red Sox fan and a pretty damn good golfer. So that's, yeah, a, that's yeah. a pretty good pick. Now it goes back to me for my second pick. I am going to take – the reigning PGA championship champion, uh, two-time U.S. Open champion, now three-time PGA champion. I think he could very well make it a three-time PGA, three-time U.S. Open champion this weekend. It's none other, none other than Brooks Kepka. I just think he's got ice in his veins every time he steps on the tee box when it comes to a major championship, and he showed that he is the cream of the crop when it comes to playing in majors somehow. And I, I don't really know how he does it, how he just in the the other tournaments, he kind of just coasts. And then in the majors, he flips a switch or he just or maybe he just plays the same and everybody else feels the pressure and he doesn't. I don't I don't know what it is, but it works. So I'm taking Brooks. I like it. And my third pick is a guy who has won a Pete, who has won a major before. Um, he won it in the bubble year um, of 2020 with no fans. And this is none other than Colin Morikawa. Oh, good pick. I was thinking about him. I love his ability, his iron play. I think, to me, his iron play on Tita Green is the best on tour and, and the best in the world. And his swing is what I try to swing like. It's nowhere near what my swing looks like. But when I want, when I'm looking at the ideal golf swing, I think Colin Morikawa. And honestly, he's done it before. He has been in these tournaments. He's been, he's had a couple of top 20s in the majors this year. He's around there. I think maybe he puts it all together this weekend um, in Los Angeles. I like it. I like the pick. Um, I was honestly be- between him and one other guy. Because uh, I, I, I do love Colin. Uh, he's got a beautiful swing. Um, I was fortunate to see him swing in person at the PGA Championship in Kiowa. And, man, it's a pretty swing. Um, so I was thinking about him, uh, but the guy that I'm going to go with is – wait, did you pick two people? Yeah, yeah, you got Brooks and Colin. Okay, sorry. I was making sure I didn't cut you off there. Um Thank you. The guy that I'm going with is uh, Xander Shoffley, um, another dude that has been kind of hot lately. So I, I don't know. I, I don't I don't pick him a lot. Uh, he's kind of an unusual pick for me. But uh, but I don't know. I, I'm just I, I feel like Xander is gonna have a big tournament this weekend. Uh, he's coming in at the seventh favorite. So yeah. 
I feel good about it. Okay. Xander, Xander it is. He has, Xander has a nice all-around game. Him and, yeah. him and Patrick Cantlay have been very close in majors, and I, I feel like yeah. they're very similar players. Um, He's going to take his first one. Sometimes some guys just don't have it in those big moments. So I, I, I don't know. I don't think it's – I'm not saying it's Xander or Patrick, but until you – you push through that barrier and, and get over the top and take home a major, you're going to be uh, labeled by some in the media as a, uh, as a guy who can't, um, can't hack it on the big stage. So yeah. uh, we will see. That is an interesting selection and a, and a solid team, nonetheless. A, a good third pick to round it out. Who is your long shot deal to round out your roster? My long shot is um, I'm having a hard time deciding. Okay. But think us gonna... put us through your thought process, Phil. So I love Phil, as I've discussed. And I'm thinking about Phil. But I just I don't know. I don't think he's gonna win um so my mind has gone to other people but i mean you're and i don't know why you're picking against me so you're picking a guy you know who as long as you're confident in making the cut they got a shot you know yeah that's a that's a positive pick for your roster so yeah that's that's fair um not that i'm trying to think so our our uh, long shot guy has to be worse than fifty to one odds. You said yes. What does that equate to in a plus number? Is that uh, plus so, fifty or so five thousand? Five thousand would be yeah. Five thousand would be fifty to one. So above that would be good. Okay. That kind of. Hmm. I think I'm going to go with my original – well, not my original favorite golfer because when I first started watching golf, Phil was. But I'm going to go with my favorite golfer that I started rooting for mm. when I first got into playing golf um, in high school. And that is Adam Scott. Uh, wow. Okay. I watched him win you know, a couple of Masters back in the day. Um, it's been a long time time and a long battle for him to get back to where he was um but he had some really good rounds last year and at the beginning of this year um i think he's kind of on the up and up again it, his thing obviously was always putting like he never struggled outside of putting but that he just clearly had one nemesis when he was coming up in golf um and so he's definitely a streaky golfer but um, I, I'm I'm thinking that he'll be able to keep it on the fairway out of the rough. Um, obviously, he he is capable and outstanding at recovery shots, um, which I see helping him in the U.S. Open. And if he could just get the putter going, then I I, I have confidence in him at least making the cut, and if not, uh, playing a little bit better. But I, I think he's going to keep my team in it. Okay. All right. Interesting, interesting choice. A very good golfer. And 
when I said Colin Morikawa has a has a sweet swing and and this great iron play, Adam Scott um, was that guy for a long time. I mean, he's he's in towards the tail end of his career, still still in great you know great golf form, um, but uh, yeah, he was that guy for a while and still is, still has a great swing and still has terrific iron play. So that I think is a great great selection because he can. He can definitely strike the ball and, and keep it in play. My long shot at 85 to 1 is Patrick Reed, Mr. Captain America himself. He's got a lot of hate over the past couple of years um, with his wife's burner account, um, with him going to live, with his story when he was back in college of stealing his teammates' stuff. He, I am not going to argue that he is the greatest guy to root for, but I will make an, as a master's champion um, and as, as a guy who competes well on the big stage, especially in the Ryder cup and in big pressure moments, I, I think as a long shot where he is right now, Patrick Reed being worse odds than, than, than somebody get some of these guys ahead of him uh, to me, doesn't make sense. And I think that just screams, um, screams value down here, and and that's who I'm gonna have to round out the squad. I like it. I like it. Um, and I think that's a really great matchup between Adam Scott and Patrick Reed. Uh, both kind of, I wouldn't say similar career paths, but I mean they're both Masters champions. Yep. Uh, they've both been on the big stage and gotten it done. Um, Adam Scott definitely a little bit more, um, respectable. Uh off the course than Patrick Reed is. Uh, not that Patrick Reed's like a bad dude or anything. It's just like it, he's definitely a polarizing figure. Right. Um, so they're, they're definitely different personalities, but, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm excited for that. I, I think their golf games are, are pretty similar at times. So pretty even playing field there. Yeah. I, I like our, our teams and it should be a good battle. Um, I will, um, we can double check ourselves um, on keeping score throughout this weekend um, and the tournament, but I hope it's an excellent tournament to watch. And Beal, let me run this by you. If one of our guys wins the tournament, wins the whole thing, is that an auto win for, for your squad or is that like a, just a bonus? Um, auto you know, win. Auto win. I, I agree. Yeah, yeah. I think that's it's an gotta auto be. win. It's yeah. got to be um, picking four guys out of a field of 156. If one of them wins, I, I think that should be an auto win. Um, I yeah. am shocked that none of us picked John Rahm, who just won the Masters. Um, and yeah, well, I don't really form. like him. <laughs> Fair enough. I, I mean, you you did pick a lot. You picked all guys that you just love to root for, and I and I love that. I mean, I you know Brooks and and Colin are, are some of my favorite golfers, so. Um, I, I kind of did that as well, but um, because Ricky Fowler came in right at 50 to one, I thought he was going to be a much longer shot. He was going to be my long shot, um, but it wasn't, it wasn't meant to be, I guess. I mean, he's just playing too good of golf right now, but that's a guy who, who I would love to see win um, Ricky yeah. Fowler and Tony Finau um, after watching his full swing episode um, made me come to tears. Um, such a great family guy. So those are the, a couple of guys Honorable mentions who I, I who I will be rooting for this weekend um, to perform well, um, but 
That does it for us with everything except Yankees and Red Sox. Now, we're going to wrap this up with baseball. I don't want to talk much about baseball because the Yankees just lost the opening series against the Red Sox this weekend. And really all I have to say is Glaber Torres cannot field. And this lineup is in shambles without Aaron judge. And that's, that's how I want to wrap up the Yankees week. The Yankees went two and four. I had predicted three and three. If Glaber Torres didn't make that error in the eighth inning um, against the Red Sox, I, I would have, guessed our week correctly and because he did you got the week on the nose and you guessed the red sox go. go three and three they did you tied it up for the year we are now three and three with weekly predictions and uh yeah i i uh yeah this is gonna be a battle throughout the entire year and i uh i hope we keep going back and forth um but for the, I'm going to open the floor to you with your thoughts on, on how your Red Sox are playing. Um, but the Yankees this week have two games against the Mets. They are currently tied. So do you want me to count today's game? Because um, they are tied in the sixth. So, I mean, my my thing isn't going to – my predictions aren't going to change. They got two games against the Mets. And then, once again, they go to Boston this weekend – I think with the way the Yankees are right now, there's a lot of gray area with Aaron Judge. Anthony Volpe's getting a lot of heat because he has not been hitting well, but he's a rookie. Give him time, Yankees fans, please, um, before we run an, another decent player out of town before he can, you know, come up to come up to his full potential um, as a rookie. Uh, give give him a little bit of time now. If he's this bad in in three years four years from now, that that's a different story. But uh, for now, give him time. He is very young. I mean, he's younger than us, Beal, and he's playing shortstop for the New York Yankees. So that's that's a feat in and of itself. Uh, a lot of pressure. But I'm going to say the Yankees split the Subway Series with the Mets. Um, and honestly, I think we're going to lose another series to the Red Sox. Somehow, some way. The Red Sox are, ba- are not a great team. I mean, they just no. lost to the Rockies yesterday. The Rockies. Yeah. So yeah. they're not a great team. And the Rockies are a great team. For some reason, they're they just have the Yankees number um, when it comes to this rivalry. And in, in recent years, they tend to win games they just shouldn't. And I think the Red Sox take two of three from the Yankees in Boston, especially without Aaron Judge and and that that weapon in the lineup because Aaron Judge has been excellent this year and the way Rizzo's in a slump, everybody's slumping at the wrong time. It feels like for the Yankees. So I am going to go with a two and three um, guess for this week for the Yankees. All right. Um, Yeah, not a bad guess. Uh, Yeah. I will say I was uh, pleasantly surprised that the Red Sox beat the Yankees in the series. Um, I don't know. I don't really have a podium to stand on with the Red Sox right now. They're not great. But one thing I do have to say is I've been blown away by the young pitching that we have. Um, Garrett Whitlock held up incredibly against a tough opponent in Garrett Cole. Uh, and then over the weekend, we had Tanner Houck and Brian Bayo also put up incredible games. So I'm happy to see that. That's what you want to see in a year where it kind of feels like we're rebuilding and kind of seeing what we've got. So, 
you know, I, I mean, we're sticking around 500. I, I, you know, can't be too upset about that. But, uh, but yeah, taking the first series against the Yankees is, is very nice. Um, I'm, I'm happy about it. It's kind of got me back into the baseball mood. But unfortunately, losing to the Rockies yesterday was, was a painful one. Uh, but, you know, just Denver wins all the way around. So, it, you know, got to live with it. Uh, you, you give and you take. Uh, I got the Nuggets win, um, but a Red Sox loss. So it is what it is. Uh, I think this week uh, we've got the Rockies game going on right now. We're in the fifth inning down by one. I do think we're going to win this game. Uh, I think we're going to win the next game. And I think we're going to take two of three against the Yankees. So I'm going to say four and one in the wow. next five days. Four yeah. and one. Yeah, there you go. You're optimistic feeling it. Feel. You're optimistic. Feeling feel. I'm really not. I'm really not. But well, you're if coming you don't off beat of the a, Rockies in a series, a... then you're terrible. So fair enough. You got to win that, and then I'm also not going to predict a series loss to the freaking Yankees. So. I did. I just did because I did it last week and I called it. I nailed it on, on the horn that we would lose a heartbreaking game three. And we did just that. And I watched all of Sunday night's game and I wish I hadn't because it just reminded me that we, uh, we just don't have it this year. The, the, it's the, the magic isn't there. Um, and you know, things can change at the trade deadline. Uh, but I, I don't know. I, I, how can I have faith in this front office with what they've done with the amount of money they, they can spend over the past 20 years? So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens, I guess. Um, but that does it for us today. Um, we're going to enjoy Yankees Red Sox again this weekend. Tune in to our Instagram. I just started a series of Say Something Nice About the Red Sox every week. The shout-out this week went to none other than Raphael Devers, who, I mean, you, you, could, you could go watch, watch the, uh, the video in our highlights on our Instagram page, um, at Yank under is – there, is there an underscore in our Instagram? Uh, I don't think uh, – I don't know. That's well, a great question. I any, don't think so. Anyways, it is in the highlights section of our Instagram um, – and it is at yank your socks off, um, just spelled as is. I, I don't, I don't see an underscore right now. No, no, there's no underscore. No underscore. Um, just at yank your socks off um, for Yankees Red Sox um, news and updates about our favorite teams. And as always, uh, we love y'all. Thank you for tuning in. Have a great Father's Day weekend. Enjoy the U.S. Open. Enjoy all the sports that are going on right now. Uh, Enjoy your sunsets, your sunrises, your brunches, your lunners. And without fail, Beal, take us out. MVP. MVP.